This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. I'm excited to have someone who I've followed along with his art for a long time, um, reached out some time ago and said, hey, you want to do a podcast? And he was in the midst of doing a lot of work. Uh, so he said, try it later. And then I think a couple months later, and then my life, just my life got swamped. I forgot. He texted him probably a year or messaged him a year later. And then he said, well, how about in a couple months? And then I almost <laughs> forgot because life, but we finally made it happen. And I'm, and I'm glad to have Scott Erickson with me today. Scott, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> it has. Um, for my audience here, Scott uh, is an artist, author, performance speaker, and creative curate who mixes uh, mixes autobiography, mythology, and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. I was introduced to you, Scott, through Instagram. I don't remember how or when or in what way, but uh, I felt that same. Your art definitely spoke to me in so many ways. Um and it still does. And I think now you've kind of written, was it three books now in various different topics? Four. Yeah. Four books. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. You, so you have a couple on two. prayer, right? Yeah, two on prayer and then two on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And then one on Advent uh, and the Advent season here a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably explain that better. But then this one that's more recent uh, called Say Yes, uh, as you kind of put it, an illuminated manuscript about how our darkest moments are actually doorways to a deeper conversation about who we are, why we're here, and how the future bursts with possibilities. I love that. Before we get kind of going in our conversation today about art, mental health, theology, spirituality, and everything, uh, if you wouldn't mind... Uh, just introduce yourself. Let my listeners get to know a little bit more about you. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm a, 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 a person who finds themselves at this time in the world <laughs> trying to make sense of the, the complicated life I live in. Look, I, I, I'm a visual artist, meaning I, the way that I process and translate and help understand what I'm going through or what we're in is through image making. And, uh, I'd like to continue, um, like what, like where I've kind of like solidified on my work is like, I'm trying to create a visual vocabulary for the spiritual journey. And I Mm -hmm. I really think our language is rooted in imagery. We're trying to convey what we're seeing externally and internally with our language. And so often transformation comes when we can trade out an unhelpful inner image for something better. And so uh, I have a lot of thoughts about the tradition I grew up in, which was, you know, American Protestantism, Lutheran. Um, 
but really had no visuals at all, like, you know, crosses right. and doves and stuff like that. But it's interesting, you know, you receive imagery when you're a kid, you get these like cartoons and stuff like that. Um, and then by middle school, we stopped giving images. And it's, it's funny to me that like, none, none, none of us think that Jesus actually wore a white robe and a blue sash, <laughs> but right. we weren't really given anything else until recently with like these TV shows and stuff like that. And, and honestly, <laughs> I don't care. Like, you know, like there's a bit of, there's a bit of it where it's like, even, even what's portrayed on TV, it's like, it didn't look like that. Maybe they're trying the best they can with archeology span and stuff like that. Who cares? We just, we, it doesn't, for me, it's like, I don't know what it, it, it's less focused on like, what were, what did it look like versus what, what is the symbol that we take away from these teachings, these stories and things like that. And I, I'm, for me, I'm processing all of that through my own uh, art form. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And then, uh, so that um, I've always wanted to make books and would like to keep doing it the rest of my life. And then I've been doing these like one man shows, kind of interactive experiences. I call them like weird liturgies, meaning like I just, I think there's an element of, let me, I'm, I'm big on like telling stories. So let me just tell a story if I can <laughs> I go for it. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I got invited to this, uh, reach, or this conference by a group called SIVA, which is Christians and visual arts. I just was asked to speak on a panel for like an hour. Uh, my friend David Taylor brought me in for that. And it was at, it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Calvin college. And because I, you know, was a speaker, I got to be at the conference. And as I'm like sitting at the, in this auditorium, the conference starts, it just, it was like, it was like art professor after art professor, just mm. getting up and like reading papers uh, and just being like, this is so important. This is so look, what we're doing is so important. It matters, you know? Yeah. And I just, after a while, I was like looking around. I was like, inwardly, I was like, I'm sorry, is this an arts conference? Where are the weirdos? <laughs> you know, like, like where, where is like the Doc Brown from Back to the Future? Who's just like, hi, I made this stuff in my garage and I probably smelled too much paint. Because <laughs> I was like, that's the kind of people I hang out with. That's the kind of people I feel like I am. Yeah. And uh, in that moment, I was also like, oh, this is how I feel about church. Not that church isn't full of weirdos. Look, it's still one of the places where weirdos can become members. Uh, it, but I feel like the, the religious tradition I was a part of got really caught up in being like, isn't this important? Look mm. how important this is. We're so right. This is so important. And I've been looking around and like, I'm sorry, are, are you not here because you're a weirdo? Like, are you, I'm sorry, I'm here because at some moment in my life, the, what I thought was reality, I peeked into something deeper than that. Yeah. That something, that there was something deeper to existence and I bumped up against it and I was like, where do you talk about this stuff? Because mm. something happened to me is this not the place we talk about that? Right. And, and um, I think just through those kind of realizing it, I was just like, Oh, ev 
I mean, we're culture making animals. So I just was like, oh, this is all invented. This this form of religion, it's all invented. Doesn't mean it's not true or real or whatever. It's just, it's invented. It's all invented. And I was like, I refuse to believe this is the only way you can invent it. The way that you talk about it, the images you make out of it, the way you do things. I just refuse. Cause you know, honestly, most adults are really boring. And, <laughs> yeah. and like we've all, as we've entered into adulthood, we're just like, why are adult things so boring? How come adults are so stale especially (laughs) in ways of religion so i there's just that's a bit of like my take on things was like i want to talk about god but in a way that makes sense in the world that i live in i want to make art that doesn't stink that makes that feels like it's gritty like life is and i want to and i want to make like weird liturgies meaning i want to make like ceremonies and rituals about the abstract and odd parts of being a human because i feel like christianity at least that i was a part of just got really up really focused on trying to sanitize it and keep the brand cool yeah and uh and i just my experience is that it's 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 all messy (laughs) and that's delightful yeah there we go that was was my story no i i love that i mean and and reflecting right like i I mean i grew up in a different tradition listeners of the Mm -hmm. podcast know i grew up very much pentecostal and now anglican um we had our own symbols right but our symbols were performative symbols right raising Mm -hmm. hands you know uh i wouldn't flags formative symbols flags for sure right (laughs) dances on the stage Uh right like all of that good stuff but to your point iconography or anything that actually was kind of visually representative in paintings yeah. and art, we're just gone. We didn't, we yeah. didn't have those things either. And it is really interesting kind of walking into a, a church and thinking that all that's visually adorned might be some kitschy art about Jesus, which is ironic considering that the cover art for everyday theology and somewhat of an ironic nod is a brown haired, blue eyed Jesus with a, not a blue sash, a red sash. So a we do have sash. something a little okay. different, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't, one of my students at my last university made it for me and said, here you go. And I said, this is great. Like people who are ready for it are going to love it. People who know the irony are going to love it. So, um, but that's really helpful, right? Maybe to start, why did you feel the need? Like what, where did, was there a moment that hit you that said, you know, I can't express this. This can't be expressed in words, but this visual representation, whether it's an art or a drawing was able to kind of help move you to that way. And that kind of process to these things need to be created in our, in our liturgies. Yeah. Like, um, well, I had a number of formative experiences. Uh, one was I, after high school, I went and lived in Strasbourg, France, um, which is on the East border Mm. along Germany. And, uh, I lived like four blocks from a cathedral. And I went there every day. It's a beautiful red brick, only one tower cathedral. And uh, I spent a lot of time in that building and walking around that building. And that building was built at a time when most of the society was illiterate. So the way that they pour, the way they, and the priest, you know, it was before the printing press, the priest had the only kind of written scripture and it was in Latin. Um, 
And so the way that all these stories were told was still orally and through sculpture, stained glass, carvings, things like that. So it was very visual oriented. So the way that it was teaching and forming was through imagery. And then it was because of the invention of the printing press and then it translating into German and then to common language that then it became, and, you know, kind of swinging the pendulum Hmm. far the opposite way of this very indulgent uh, over uh, gold. I don't know. You know, it was the very indulgent kind of Catholic uh, thing. They went very like, just like a simple room. And all we need is the Bible. Um, so there was a bit of like, I understand that, but there was a bit of like, well, now we just have these words and we can have, you know, we, that's all we need is yeah. we need just words and, and yet words are associated with imagery. <clears throat> um, so anyways, I, I, uh, so I, that was really interesting to me. And that started a conversation, which I, which I was like, what is the role of the artist in the church, um, now? Cause I don't think we should build cathedrals anymore because it costs like a billion dollars. Um, I was like, we should. But uh, what does the, the, how does the artist function in the midst of the, like in a spiritual, in a, if it was a illiterate society, maybe there's a spiritual illiteracy that's now, you know, and that's, yeah. that was kind of the start of that. I had this experience uh, after college. I lived in Seattle and there was this great coffee shop that had big wall space and they'd let artists put up art and you could do like an art show for a month. They didn't take a cut of it. It was it was a great place to show art next to a movie theater. It was always busy, so like thousand a thousand people would go through there every day, wow. and just a lot of good exposure. So this one time, I had um, I made all these paintings, and I had some like fun ones. I had like this stormtrooper icon. Um, I had uh, like some Vespa ones or whatever. But then I had this one that's called "Forgive Thy Brother," which I've then translated into "Forgive Thy Other," and it's these two brothers embracing well one's embracing one who has arrows in his back is embracing the one who is holding a bow and it's mm -hmm. about forgiveness and uh i remember i was there for the friday night opening and nobody was talking to me i was just sitting at this desk <laughs> uh and uh this big guy like a big guy in a big leather jacket just a very intimidating guy comes up and he's just like did you make all this stuff and i was like yeah Yes, sir. I did. And he was like, uh, he's like, I really like it. And I was like, Oh, cool. Thank you. I was like, anything stand out to you? And he points at that one. He goes that one. And I was like, Oh yeah. Why? And he goes, cause I get it. Hmm. And I had this moment where I was like, Oh, Christianity doesn't own the rights to forgiveness. That's just something that's right. really hard for all human beings to do. And, uh, and, and yet all I, you know, all I had been given really was like, forgiveness is a cross and hope is a cross and love is a <laughs> right. cross, you know? Right. And I, and here, I, here I had made an image that spoke about forgiveness and this guy, and I don't know if, was, if he had any church background, but this guy was like, oh, I get what that is. And, and that is what resonates with me. And it, and, it, and it was like, so what are the other images? How do you, what, if you took all these like transformation and healing and faith and hope, and are there more images than just a cross? You know? Yeah, <laughs> or just, right. Like, and then that just kind of started that, oh, okay, how do you start translating that? And then 
seeing that women and men have been doing that for hundreds of years, I just, I was like, Oh, I'm now I'm being led into that. Um, which, but I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, but, but it's different now versus like 15th century artwork, you know, like, Caravaggio at the time when he made paintings, we look at him now and we're like, oh, old paintings. But his paintings, you know, in his time, paintings of sacred stories were like big, buff, bulbous <laughs> characters <Right>. with drapery, <laughs> a cast of hundreds, big settings, lights coming out of their head. And Caravaggio was like, I don't want anything to do with that. And he felt very conflicted as a person. He was like, I don't feel like a saint, but I definitely know I'm a sinner. He was like a ladies' man. He had duels all the time. He got kicked out of Italy for a while. He, he but he made these, like the calling of Matthew, one of his very first kind of famous paintings for the church. It's, you know, Matthew is playing in a bar in Rome and Jesus huh. and Peter walk in and there's this like hand pointing to Matthew and this lights coming from behind Jesus illuminating the hand. And it's illuminating Matthew being like, I'm calling you. We look at it and we're like, yeah, but they're wearing tights and they have feathers in the hair. It looks old. But in that time, it's like Caravaggio took that story and said, that story is still happening today. Hmm. It's happening yeah. right now in Rome, in the life I'm living in. And and that is the same invitation for me, which is to be like, it's not a story that it's not just a story that happened back then. It's a story that's happening right now. Yeah. So what, and I'm not even, I don't look, I have a, an okay relationship with my art. I don't think I'm a bad artist. I'm like, but I'm not like the greatest artist ever. I'm fine with what I'm doing, but I'm like, what kind of work do we make out of after what kind of work do we make out of, uh, you know, abstract art, pop art, Andy Warhol, graffiti, Shepard Fairey, uh, Banksy. What is the symbology now that we would make? Because I think a lot of like Christian iconographers still nod back to like bodies and drapery and this right. kind of cliche. Right. And and I I'm not I love that stuff. I'm just like trying to push myself on the cliche a little bit. That's that's so that's a bit of like where that kind of and I'm still yeah. on that journey. Yeah. What I like about that and what I was rudely interrupting you to say, you uh, not. it's a conversation <laughs> was, um, you know, that the point that you say, like some of our symbols, you know, admittedly are tired, right? Like we've, mm. we've used them so much that they become, yeah. they don't mean anything anymore or they become white noise in the way that we, we look at them. But what I appreciate, and this is actually about your surrounding, uh, is that, you don't give up those symbols because clearly on the wall behind you, there are multiple symbols of the cross. Yep. Uh, so, so it's not advocating to oh, yeah. give up of those symbols. It's also advocating in so many ways from what I hear you saying is we've got to use different symbols, more symbols at different times that help express things that otherwise have become white noise. Right. Yeah. 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 Let's take the cross for example. And I know this isn't, some people don't like this statement, but, I think the cross is a tired image. Here's the thing. It's, I don't, I'm not diminishing the cross. I just look the cross, mother Teresa wore a cross and the cross is on the logo of the KKK. Right. <laughs> like, right. The cross has been bedazzled into jackets, into shoes. It's tattooed on celebrities. It, 
you know, dudes at nightclubs bumping and grinding against ladies are wearing it around their necks. It's ubiquitous. So we, so what does it mean anymore? Right. If it's everywhere, it's what's the context of it. So, and, but listen, the cross is a brilliant symbol. Like for a thousand years, empires use crucifixion as a way of deterring, you know, residents <laughs> who are being occupied from starting rebellions. They publicly and shamefully executed residents and said, don't mess with us. And this is going to happen with you. Right. In right. fact, after, it was about 300 years after Jesus was crucified before the church even started adopting it as a symbol. They had the fish at first and other things like that because that symbol was tyrannical. Right. And it's a, and it's a kind of, it's a punk rock co-opting move to take a symbol of oppression and make it your symbol of hope. And it's a very simple design, two lines, right? Like for me, when I'm like ev on every church in the world is an execution device, <laughs> like that's punk right. rock in some ways. <laughs> right. But you know, it's become like precious moments and stuff like that. And it's kind of diminished it. So you referencing and, and those of you listening, uh, wherever you're at, I have a couple images that are cross shapes, but they're symbols making a cross. And here's a, so I was a pastor at one of the churches I was a part of, I was telling him my frustration and he's like, well, there's all these amazing things that are happening on the cross. Like all this process prophecies being fulfilled and stuff. And I was like, Oh, so we worked on this project. It's like up there. I don't know if you can see it, but there oh, it's nice. called the fulfillment of prophecy. And there's all these symbols and they're all tied to old Testament stories that are then being fulfilled yeah. on the cross. So sometimes you have to make things more. So if does the goal of design is to make things simple as possible, they have as much meaning in a simplistic illustration. Sometimes you, but when things become so common or, or just like, oh, I know what that means. I don't have to think about it. Sometimes you need to make things more complex. So we unlearn what we've, what we think we know about it, yeah. that, that it gives us some wonder. We're like, you know, I never thought about it that way. Or I never saw it that way. This even happens with, in my language for my show, say yes. I, I think I only say God like one time. Hmm. because God is just a pronoun to a mystery that we don't know how to describe. Right. And God is very short and, but God means a lot of things to a lot of people. So I, it takes more language, but I like throughout the show, I say the giver of your existence, which is, you know, the same thing as God, but the, you know, like I came from God, either I, you know, my essence, the creation, it's the creator, it's the maker, but I just say the giver of our existence, the yeah. giver of our existence. And then, then there's no kind of, there's no real tribalness built around the giver of our existence, right. but it's, but it, it, it's saying the same thing, but without the like, well, what does that mean to me? Or what does that mean to those people? You know, does that make sense? So sometimes we, oh, it's yeah. really helpful to make our words longer instead of shorter. So then it becomes a more dynamic uh, conversation. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's very much reminiscent of Paul Tillich and his desire to use different kind of language, ground of being, the ground of being concern mm -hmm. and these things yes. to help uh, for various different reasons. One of the ways that, that Christian theologians can take it away is to go, it does that. It provides more understanding of a term that has kind of lost its, it's gumption, it's weight, it's 
Great use of gumption. Yeah, you know, trying. Well, you know, I couldn't help it. I had to call out the Han Solo poster under the cross. It feels like Han Solo is being redeemed a bit, which I'm great. Uh, That was great. I love it. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I think I'm, I'm right there with you, right? Like this is, even in my own experience, and I've said this on the podcast before, the dumbest thing actually created for me a moment of, considerable reflection and even before I knew the language of deconstruction, this questioning about my own kind of faith commitments, at least doctrinally, was that that Nat Geo reconstruction of Jesus. Oh yeah. Become, right? Because it yeah. did break out of that the ubiquity of the brown haired, blue eyed, white robed, blue sash Jesus that I had expected to understand. Mm-hmm. That little bit, which wouldn't even call it art, right? As much as it is just, uh, you know, a, a, an artistic rendering of what possibly could have been or yeah. look like Jesus. Yeah. Can ultimately wreck you in a space that goes, wait a second. I have only processed in one lane for so long. I've lost totally. it. I, I don't know. Totally. I don't understand. Totally. Right? totally. Oh, I had the same feeling with that image. I was, because my first thought was like, that's not what Jesus looks like. hundred percent. Like, I did the same. Like, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full nineties throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Well, I don't know what Jesus actually looked like. Why would I say that? And then you're like, oh, it's because I've been given all these European and or, you know, other interpretations. I grew up in a, like a Scandinavian church. So there was very much like a golden haired, blue eyed. Oh, nice. Look like his cousin was the God Thor, you know, like, uh, Jesus. <laughs> so it is. And then you're like, Oh, I have actually, even though I don't think I have an image, I actually do have an image of what I think yeah. it should look like or should be not. And then see, that was another thing that realized like, Oh, okay. So I have these maybe unidentified or unlooked at images that I need to do also because in Christianity, which is still a tradition I don't feel like I need to move on from. I've had to get a lot broader and deeper in my def- definitions of things. Um, I just kind of set some rules where I'm like, I rarely do crosses and I rarely do pictures of Jesus. <laughs> unless like, unless it's like a yeah. lamb or some, some kind of metaphor. Just because that stuff all exists and I don't need to add to it. Or I'm not that interested in offering an alternative. Go like, no, 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 he's more brown skin. It's like, great. And I, I agree, but it's st- still for me, that's not the point is like trying to capture what he looks like. It's just not, it's more about like what, how, it's more about giving a symbol of like, how is this happening now? Is, yeah. You know, I'm not, sometimes people ask me if I illustrate Bible passages and I'm like, I'm not a Bible illustrator. Um, I've taken passages and made illustrations out of it, but I'm not trying to like illustrate what's happening. Right. It's not like it's it's almost, it's almost going the wrong way. It's like trying to use the art to explain or not even explain, but just to show the Bible in picture versus actually giving the idea. What is this thing 
trying to help us understand. And so let me give you a visual representation of that thing of what it's supposed to be, right? Like forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. Because they're the I'm buddies with the the YouTube channel, the Bible Project. You know, like I know them and they're doing amazing work and they're yeah. doing all of that. And they have a staff of like 150 people. <laughs> I'm just me <laughs> in a room. So it's what, yeah, it's more of like, where, where am I? What, what can I offer? What can I uniquely offer? What, um, you, you know, like we're in the season of Lent right now. And years ago I made this stations of the cross. I've made a mm-hmm. few stations of the cross and, um, stations of the cross is a meditation on how Jesus uh, eventually had to like, had to take the process to death, had to go to death. And, uh, and I, and for me, it was really an invitation of like, Jesus partook in some of like the worst parts about being a human, um, like being judged in an unlawful system, being mocked, dehumanized, broken family relationships, physical pain, having to deal like, you know, all of these things. And, uh, it's alluded to in scripture, but it's mostly, it's like a tradition that came out of pilgrimages. And so I wanted to like reinterpret that and bring it into a modern context. And, um, what I'm saying is like the Bible project is not going to take that on. (laughs) Right. Right. If you're a Bible illustrator, you're not doing that because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's based in the Bible. It's based in our sacred text, but it's not like a, it's a, but it's a practice of pilgrimage. This is maybe more like I'm trying to make imagery for pilgrimages. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like, yeah, Yeah. like that. Yeah. I, and I think it, to your point, kind of circling back, it's something that's been so missed within the church because we had that other swing that push against iconography where there was the worshiping of icons versus the recognition that icons can help us see or understand something in ways that we can't currently comprehend or that words fail at showing us that sometimes we need it in ways. What And what I appreciate about kind of the art that you do and the way that you do it is it's not pointed on the nose to say, here's forgiveness. It's Jesus on a cross. Rather, it's yeah. here's forgiveness. Two people hugging one with the bow and one with the arrows in their back, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it says a similar thing. It tries to point to the picture of what does this mean? when Christ says, forgive them for they know not what they do in the, you know, mm-hmm. fancy King James way. Right. Uh, yeah. And yet it can do it in a way that someone who has no understanding, no thought process of Christ can say that thing means everything that helps me in my own processing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so to a harder part of the conversation then, um, which I'll have a disclaimer at the top, but you know, just disclaimer talking about suicide here, you you recently Mm -hmm. kind of within your book, uh, say yes. You literally at one time posted on Instagram that you called it a Christian book about suicide. Um, yeah. What do you mean by that? And and how are you kind of looking at the way that you're doing art and the way that you're thinking about mental health and suicide and meaning and and kind of pulling all those things together? Yeah, I I had I didn't post that for like six months because <laughs> I oh, was wow. like. Well, for one, I wasn't like trying to be like, here's a product, here's a Christian product for a universal thing. Um, you know, obviously, like, you like rock music, here's Christian rock music. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. it wasn't trying to be like, right. You think about suicide, you know, you know, suicide book, here's a Christian book about it. It wasn't that. It was more, what happened to me is that 
and it's very common as you go through middle age is like, I found my, I found, I actually started getting in touch with like who I wanted to be in the world and what I wanted to do. And I went through some deep depression and I found I was like, you know, I thought about, uh, the way I would say it, it was like, I didn't necessarily want to kill myself, but if I was crossing a street and I looked and a bus was going to hit me, I'd be like, thank God, you know, mm. <laughs> like, like, I'd be mm. like, I'd be like happy about it. And I had like small kids at the time. And, and I was just like, I need, I have to, well, I was working with therapists, but I was really dealing with this stuff. And what I started, I had to develop mental health and spiritual practices to kind of deal with this voice of giving up is what I would mm, call it. Yeah. And, and they're practices I still do today and they really work for me. And I was like, Oh, and when you make stuff for a living, you're like, Oh, can I monetize this? And then I was like, don't be a jerk. Just and make sure it works. So I, 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 for a few years, I just like made sure that what I was doing actually worked for me. And then I started talking about it with people. And then, uh, just like it did a few talks about it. And then, uh, Anthony Bourdain killed himself hmm. and right after I found this out right after I had done a talk in Idaho and in Boise. And I remember walking in this parking lot going, I have some stuff about this and I need to see if I can offer something to yeah. this conversation. And, and one of my running muses was like, I, I want to make a church service about suicide because I've never been to one. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and I, but I have been to like really boring services, like so boring that you wanted to die while you're in them. And oh, I was like, yeah. if, you made a, if you made a religious service about suicide that you felt like you wanted to die at, that would be the antithesis <laughs> to the point. Right. And, and it made, I made myself laugh. Like I made myself laugh and I was like, oh, okay. So I have to make something that's like funny. Like I have yeah. to make like a comedy art show. It's, it's not like, hitting directly at it it's like what are all the things around this thing because really like giving up on yourself is on a spectrum because i know um i know a few people who just you know binge watch something all the time because they just don't want to deal with their lives hmm. you know or we've all had or, or ourselves have gone through some kind of like addiction or numbing through substances technology you know uh things like that to just like because it, it helps cover a deeper pain we don't want to deal with. And then some people on the far end of the spectrum, just like, I don't want to be here anymore. And I've lost friends to that too. So I was just like, how do you talk about the spectrum? And then maybe what we need is like spiritual mental health practices. Yeah. So the whole show is like a delivery system for these simple practices. Um, but they're part of like, but once you get into them, you're like, Oh, these are much bigger conversations. Like I had this experience when I was, working with a therapist and she was like, you need to start like some kind of physical routine. Like I, so I started running because getting out of your head and into your body really helps. But I remember on one of those runs, I was just like running along. And then I was like, well, why the hell am I running anyways? (laughs) You know, and I bumped up against the deeper existential question. And that's where I'm like, Oh, spiritual practices and mental health practices aren't that different. Hmm. They're just, maybe coined by different camps with different perspectives, like yeah. clinical and, and, and like religious. And so, um, so that's when I said, so when I was like, uh, here's a, a Christian book about suicide, I remember uh, it's, 
I, I made that post because I was like, there isn't a Christian book about suicide. And I have listened to, a, I listened to this one Christian college that had this whole thing about suicide. And honestly, it was so, um, it didn't know how to get into it. Yeah. Like the guy was just like, he was like, the answer to suicide is the good news of the gospel. Right. Yeah. And I, the Jesus card that's supposed to fix everything, just Jesus. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. I am a person of faith who has Jesus in my heart, who at times wanted my heart to stop beating. It's not a product that like you're pitching it as a product. This is like a deeper conversation. Yeah. And that's actually part of my show, which is like, why religion is threatened by this is because it really pushes on the product-based pitch, which is like, if you get this thing, it'll fix everything. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't because I've had Christian friends take their lives. It does. Jesus in your heart. Isn't the answer. Well, he wasn't really in your heart. What are we even talking about now? We're talking about a little guy in your heart. Like what are in your aortic valve? What we're talking about is like, we're stuck in some kind of narrative. We're stuck in a, in a perspective that sucks for lack of a better word that has, that is hopeless and that is despairing and doesn't know how to get out. In fact, my big kind of climactic scene, not climactic, but my last part is like, is I say, I make the connection where I'm like being obsessed with the second coming of Jesus or the end of the world is the same thing as suicide. They're both escapism. They're both Mm. saying, I actually don't like the miracle of being here. I actually don't want to be in God's good earth anymore. I'd like to be taken out of here to heaven or just get out of here into whatever's next. They're the same thing. Hmm. And and when when that really made sense to me, I was like, oh no, we're talking about, because like, and look, this is, I don't fully get into this, but what happened, a lot of like my, quote, you know, you mentioned deconstruction, a lot of stuff in my mid thirties stopped working for me because I had enough, I think enough friends died at young ages, mostly from cancer, a few suicides. And I, and I realized I was, I was like, I'm going to die. And this is a very middle-aged thing to say. And I'm also an artist in an Enneagram four, uh, <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> I'm going to die and I'm not in charge of that or when it's going to happen, nor am I in charge of whatever is after that. This is like a water slide into, I don't know what it is. And I'm not, there's nothing I can do about that, <clears throat> which is really counter to the American, like, well, you got to say this prayer and then you it's all right. taken care. And so I was like, Oh, but my religion has been so obsessed about afterlife, so obsessed and end times. I went through end times training. Growing oh up. yeah. And PTSD. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, Oh, when I remember the nightmares from childhood, it's not yeah. Kruger. It's Sunday night church watching these horrible videos from the seventies. And, and I was like, Oh, why is my faith tradition so obsessed about afterlife and end times? And I was like, it's because it's abstract and you can control it. It actually, I think they like spending time on that because they, it might actually feel insecure about this life. Yeah. And I and uh, I had a crisis of faith because I was like, well, does any, what, is there a religion about this life? And uh, it, and I was introduced into, you know, of Franciscan Catholicism through father Richard Rohr, which a lot of us were affected by him, but he, he just said, 
Franciscan practices are simply this, that the physical world is the doorway to the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is much, much larger. That framework, so I was given a framework that said like, the physical world sucks and we're just waiting for the spiritual right. world. Right. But he's saying that in this order, they're going, no, 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 you can't access the spiritual world except through this physical world. There's no way to understand God or that yeah. world except through this world. So you must be here. And it, and Jesus alluded to this too, where they're like, when did we feed you? When did we, when were you thirsty? And he's like, when you did it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. Yeah. He's in, he's saying like, there's something in the tangible materialness of kindness, loving your neighbor, consider the lilies, <laughs> look at the stars where he's like, and the portal, the doorway, the thin place, you see just beyond the yeah. much, much larger reality that is veiled from us most of the time. And it's, so, so then, so, and I'll finish. And then it was, so I was like, oh, there's a way to practice being here that is spiritual. And that is yeah. kind of how all this is coming together. What, you know, it's interesting kind of talking about this, you know, if you just had Jesus in your heart, this, this thing wouldn't be an issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's often that the, at least that I've found in working with as many college students as I have and, and me myself and just community, the worst thing to ever say to a Christian is let's just bandaid fix you yeah. with a passage or a Jesus a card or a, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it doesn't actually help in so many ways be the, the salve to the actual deeper issue because yeah. we know those things or because we mm -hmm. say, well, Jesus is in my heart. And yet I still feel X, Y, and Z. I still want mm -hmm. to give up in certain places. It's only worse when we say, well, if you just actually had Jesus, that wouldn't be that way because now all of a sudden you're like, well, then how do I do that? Cause I yeah. thought I've been doing that for 30 years. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and what I, what I, appreciate it kind of the way that you're reflecting on this with, with roar and others. And I think Lewis kind of gets there a bit with his understanding of this, this thin veil is it doesn't to your point. I mean, again, I grew up in a, in a tradition that did the same, you know, Pentecostals were all about the return of Jesus. I mean, that was yeah. the imminent return of Jesus as part of the fivefold gospel made popularized by Pentecostals. And Oh, that's and, right. <laughs> and every, every, that's every service, like top five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like every service, there was something about it could happen right now. It could, and it was always, and the reason why I called it like kind of like the PTSD because it always said, whatever this thing is is not good, and there's something better out there. So let's just hurry up and get to that instead of. Yeah. I, I remember as a kid going, hearing from a pastor saying like, "We're gonna have you know Jesus could come back tomorrow," and I literally thought to myself, "Let's pump the brakes." I'd like to have a family one day. I'd like to experience some things. Let's like hold off for a second. Jesus. Oh my gosh. Like, I have, yes. I like the church is praying for Jesus to come back and I'm praying. No, no, no. Wait, hold on a second. No, I Give was like, I, I'm down with Jesus coming back. Can I wait till I have sex first? Cause I'd like to <laughs> yeah, right. literally, that's what I, thought. I was like, I'd like to have sex within the confines of marriage and then he can come back. <laughs> yeah. That's that. Mine was just the holier than thou version of like having a family. Right. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. 
I, yeah, I mean, and, that I had thought that. That's you know, it's crazy because, totally. and, and, and these are the things that don't happen without these conversations. Like to, yeah. for a pastor who gets up on stage and over and over again says these things and not realizing the spiritual effect that it has on different generations or different people group or people who've gone through trauma or not recognizing that this language that we think is great and we couch as biblical ends yeah. up being the very thing that hurts people all the more or actually turns them off from from this participation with god yeah that's that then i'm out right um and to, to bring it back to art you know i think one of the things that we often miss is that art can bring us back into that participatory reality yeah that's lost through the language or someone on stage every sunday giving their you know 30 minute semi self-help semi maybe i'll use a passage semi let me just tell you how to live your life yeah and yet what we what we need is affective aesthetic that actually says i can be shaped and molded and changed and words maybe maybe they can be there and maybe mm -hmm. it's actually yeah. just me reflecting on an image of two people hugging i keep going back to yeah. that because that's the one i mean i've got your oh. stuff on my screen right now and i all i keep getting distracted by the flow rider dinosaur since i'm from florida <laughs> i just i keep so sorry like nice. yeah yeah no 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 i uh that's one of my most successful images for sure because i was like wow that encapsulates a lot of what i'm hoping to do so yeah no i i'm glad you bring that one up so you know i don't want to I'd, I'd be missed uh kind of I do this sometimes with, with my guests when I go, look, your world is different than mine. Like I, mm -hmm. mine's theology. Like I'm, I'm in that whole like words thing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that that's more of my world. Often, if you ask me to draw something, it's the worst. In fact, I've <laughs> made whole jokes and sermons about how bad I am at drawing and throw it up on the board to say, see, like, I can't illustrate <laughs> this great. for you. That's a great um, tool. That's funny. Uh, so sometimes I ask, you know, if there's something that I have missed in asking, or if there's a part of the conversation that you would go, you know what, a part of this whole conversation, and maybe maybe even going back to this, like this book uh, for helping not giving up, like how, what would you say? What would you say? Hey, you know what? You missed something here. If you could have asked the perfect question, this would have been this, and here's what I would have said. Or even still, how does art help overcome that not giving up yourself? Uh, well, no, I think you've been, uh, I think you've been bangerang with everything, uh, to reference hook. I, oh, yeah, uh, we just watched it. Don't worry. Not lost. lost boys. Yeah. Rufio. Um, we No, I, you know, when I, uh, so in, uh, I did a couple books with my friend, Justin McRoberts about prayer. And when I teach about prayer, invite people to prayer, um, we'll lead people to be like, look, prayer is this thing that's already happening in you words and images and songs help us excavate that mm. scripture helps us excavate that we we've all had this experience when you've read a passage of scripture and you go and you underline it and then you know like a year later you come back to that same scripture and you're like mm, well this part really resonates with me now not this part that i underlined right. before why what did the words change no it's the conversation you're having changed mm -hmm. the conversation about god reality being here all of that and that helps us get in touch with that um it's the it's happening back then as it's happening right now 
uh, another example is like, we have you ever been in your car and a song comes on the radio and you're like, oh, this is my song. And you turn it up. What you're saying is you're saying somehow lyrically and sonically, the artist perfectly depicted what it feels like to be in my own yeah. skin. And it becomes like, you know, even if it's like fun, it still is like a prayer, you know, it still becomes a vehicle to approach God with. And so um, it, there are sometimes in our seasons of our prayer life that we have all the words, we have all the things to say. And then there's sometimes where you don't know what to say at all and have nothing. And we can draw from, for one, a, a tradition of women and men who've written down prayers throughout time. We can draw from that tradition, draw from our sacred texts. We can also draw from images and songs. I, I tell people, I'm like, just what is the song? What's, what's your song right now? What's getting your attention? What's the one you keep coming back to? And then we live now in an age of like so much imagery. Granted, a lot of it uh, <laughs> is comparative and off-putting, but like we, we can, you know, I think why people have really resonated with my work, why I'm on this podcast, why I can't believe I have a living as an artist is because uh, I'm making those excavation tools for people. Yeah. And, it, and, and I had been doing that for a long time, but when the rise of these platforms, these visual oriented platforms came up, as like my stuff fit really well in that. So uh, I have, you know, I offer my stuff for that, but there are other things. So we can kind of use these, like even I watching you on a Zoom screen, but behind I have this passage of scripture just screenshotted that I just have up for a while because it's really wrecking me <laughs> in, in Ephesians, you know, and just kind of using that, using mm -hmm. those things. So uh, art is just one piece. Visual art is just one piece of like, Words, poetry, music, um, uh, all this, all these things that are bringing us into that conversation uh, with the divine. Yeah. 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 Hammocks. It's okay to be okay. afraid of the universe. There's the song. <laughs> oh, man. But that's Hammocks just because I'm great. a. Hammocks is. is a great band. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, hey, Scott, I appreciate everything. I appreciate having a conversation. I appreciate the, the stimulation and, and mind and thought. Um, before I let you go though, where can people engage with you? Where can they buy your books? And then even if they're in some of the areas that you are doing this, uh, this liturgy of say yes, uh, yeah. where, can they, where can they go to find out more about that? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm Scott the painter on all socials. My website is scotterickssonart.com. Um, but yeah, books are available everywhere. Books are sold. Um, I'm still, it's been like four years, but I'm still doing say yes shows. Um, doing one in Columbus close to you should come out. We'll have some pizza. It'll be great. And then, uh, I'm working on a next show that I hope to, I don't know, you know putting it together and starting. Yeah. It's on paradox. It's on paradox. Um, I thought you were going to say paradise for a second, and I was going to be like, "But on, wait a second, we just had this paradise." <laughs> it is a cross section of the thief on the cross and Guns and Roses, and we're going to bring them together. Um, paradise, love City. it. Yeah, it's John Mark Homer's <laughs> follow up to Garden City. It's Paradise City. <laughs> oh man, I'll, I'll be waiting for it. I'll be the first in line. So I should uh, contact him. He's local. We'll just he. I mean, he endorsed Honest Advent, but like, we'd just be like, hey, Paradise City, let's follow. Up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, I appreciate it. It's been a great time, and hopefully, I'll have you back in the future. 
Great. I love it. Yeah. We'll, we'll push it off for like 14 months and then we'll, we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. But if we start now with talking about now. it, it'll happen eventually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks awesome. so much, Scott. Yeah. 